This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening and welcome to a special edition of Piers Morgan Uncensored, live from Doha in Qatar, the home, of course, of the World Cup. And tonight, I'll be talking exclusively to the World Cup chief, Hassan Al-Thawadi, who answers the critics. Is it safe for gay people to be in Qatar now? It's safe for everybody to be in Qatar. Yes. Unequivocally, Pierce, yes. And they were the two most famous people in British football. Richard Keyes and Andy Gray were the dominant frontmen for Sky's coverage of the Premier League. But then it all came crashing down in a sexism scandal. They now live here and work here in Doha. And tonight, they give me their first ever exclusive interview since it all went down. I suddenly found myself in a really dark place. Um, The house surrounded by people. uh, And I knew I had done something wrong. Of course I did. But I couldn't compute it. And my head was gone. From Qatar, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored at the World Cup. Well, good evening for the World Cup uh, in Qatar. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. A competition that began in a blaze of hypocritical sanctimony has become what it always should have been. A feast of great football with unpredictable results, unforgettable drama and a billion eyeballs glued to the biggest sporting event on the planet. That's how it should be. For the past few weeks, there's been a uniquely negative narrative about this World Cup, driven, I have to say, mostly from England. Yet here in Doha, reality feels very different. I've been here for a few days now and found a thriving cosmopolitan sportsman city and a stunning vantage point for a tournament played out in magnificent purpose-built stadiums that are filling up more with every game. I've got to say, the conversation in Qatar is less about rainbow bucket hats, hats and arm pads and more about the football. Why is Gareth Southgate leaving Phil Foden on the bench? Can anyone stop Kylian Mbappe? How badly injured is Neymar? Could Ronaldo or Messi's last World Cups end in the biggest trophy of all? And, of course, is it coming home? Spoiler alert, probably not. From here in Qatar, the tournament bears no resemblance to all the doom-mongering headlines back home. 
Fans from across the world are safe and mingling happily. The stadiums are not selling beer, but those who want to drink alcohol can do so all over the city. There's no sign of the shameful booze-fueled scenes of our own Euros final at Wembley. Now, of course, Qatar is not without fault. Women's rights and gay rights are restricted by Western standards. Migrant workers have indisputably been treated badly. But those statements apply to many of the countries around the world, including many competing in this tournament and by many nations who've hosted major sporting events without anything like the furore that's kicked off about Qatar. We seem to have forgotten in England that in 1966, when we hosted and won the World Cup, it was illegal to be gay in our country. Moral halos appear to have slipped over some people's eyes and obscured some rather salient facts. For example, there's 12% of the population here are native Qataris, something we in the supposedly sophisticated West would never tolerate. The migrants who come here in vast numbers are sometimes mistreated. But the reason they're here in the first place is because the wages they earn are life-changing. And the global scrutiny of the World Cup has at least led to reforms in labor laws here. That will be an important legacy and one massively lacking after two Olympic Games in China and a World Cup in Russia. Qatar is also a significant investor in many aspects of UK life. For example, it gives us 25% of our gas, which is food for thought, isn't it? As our national grid considers winter blackouts. Would all the virtue signalers back home prefer we tell Qatar to stop sending its gas? This tournament's brought the football mad Middle East together as well. Two years ago, Qatar was under a blockade led by Saudi Arabia, Bahrain and the UAE. Now fans from most countries are pouring in to enjoy the football. Saudi's crown prince was at the opening ceremony. The Emir of Qatar even waved the Saudi flag during their stunning win over Messi's Argentina. There's no denying the Middle East has a long way to go on human rights and many social issues, but so frankly to a lot of European countries. There's also no denying that this region, the Middle East, has long deserved its World Cup. And there's no denying, and I can tell you, this is what most people here are thinking, that right now Qatar's putting on a pretty good show. And frankly, when it comes to morality, are we in England really in any position to lecture the Middle East about laws or values, given the way we illegally invaded Iraq 20 years ago, sparking two decades of ISIS terror, and at last year's Euros final, showed the world that we're a bunch of coke-snorting, booze-sodden, brawling, firework-exploding-from-backside imbeciles. Methinks not. Well, Hassan al-Thawadi is the Secretary-General of the Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy, which is a fancy title for he pretty well runs the World Cup here in Qatar. He's the man at the helm of the most controversial tournament in World Cup history for reasons that frankly baffle me. And he spoke to me a little earlier today. I began by asking how he felt about Qatar hosting the tournament and how he thought he was going. We're immensely proud of, of, of the World Cup as, you know, and everything that's been unfo unfolded since, uh, since the 20th of November. It's, it's a moment of great pride. I mean, you know, just, just if you look at what's happening on the streets, people from all over the world coming in, celebrating, uh, the stories unfolding in the pitch, in the stadiums, mm. uh, from a footballing perspective, phenomenal, great. Um, well, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. Saudi Arabia beating really Argentina. Really set the tone for the region, Absolutely, right? well, absolutely. I mean, you know, and then, and then Morocco just recently beating Belgium mm. uh, yes, uh, yesterday. Mm. I mean, that in itself is a phenomenal story as well. This is the first World Cup in the Arab world. This is the first World Cup in the Middle East, in the Islamic world. You see it not only in, you know, not only in terms of the teams participating, but you see it in the stadiums. I mean, I, I, I was seeing some of the punditry where you had the fans. Mm. It was predominantly red, Moroccan supporters. 
And it's not just Moroccans flying over here. It's supporters of the Moroccan national team from the Arab uh, uh, population living in Qatar, visiting Qatar. Saudi supporters were supporting Morocco. Uh, Moroccan supporters were supporting Saudi and Tunisia and so on. Uh, you know, for, for our part of the world, for our, for our region, this is, this is a, you know, I have to say, you know, as, as, as Qataris, as Arabs, we're extremely proud of this moment. How have you reacted as a senior Qatari, one of the real key people in this World Cup, particularly from the criticism from the UK, for example? I think, you know, from day one, what we tried to do is distinguish between two forms of criticism. There's constructive criticism that we've taken on board, we've engaged with, uh, we've, we've talked to our critics who had a genuine interest in terms of um, you know, progress or working with us towards utilizing this, this tournament as a transformational vehicle for Qatar and for the region. And as I said, we've engaged with them, we've discussed things with them, and they've become partners in the end. Um, and then there's, of course, criticism that I think is based on uh, misinformation, uh, misrepresented facts, misstated facts, and even, even towards you know, these, uh, whether, it's, whether it's media outlets or individuals, we've also reached out and tried to engage and tried to set the facts straight. Um, and some, unfortunately, have not been as, 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 uh, as receptive of our efforts. But nevertheless, we've always said one thing, the most important element is um, our response is always going to be by actions as opposed to words. But so Gary Deniku, who fronts the BBC coverage, he's a friend of mine, full disclosure, big fan of his work over the years, both on the pitch and off. But he did a sort of monologue at the start of the BBC's coverage, pointing out all the bad things about Qatar. And all I felt was he didn't do that at the Russia no. World Cup. No. Um, they didn't run your opening ceremony this time, the BBC on the main channel. They did no. in Russia. They ran it, for example, with the China Olympics in Beijing Winter Olympics. Yes. It seems to me to be a bit of a double standard there. Well, it's, 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 it's disappointing, you know, for an institution such as the BBC, especially, you know, or in particular BBC Sports, you know, an institution that is always known, or at least, you know, as I grew up, was always known to be, you know, objective and stating mm -hmm. the facts and allowing for, you know, different points of view to be addressed and for the audience to make their own decision uh, for the actions that you've mentioned. For example, you know, and again, in particular with Gary, the frustration is that we've reached out to him. Mm. We've reached out to him many times. The latest, if I'm not mistaken, was in February about three or four times for a sit-down. And at the very least, again, with the idea, we'll present our case. Whatever judgment you want to pass later on, that's, that's, that's up to you. But at least for us to present the counter-argument. Mm. Show, show, you know, show what, what we've done, how we've utilized this tournament, and how really this tournament is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, an historical event. Mm. What you see in the stadiums, mm. what you see outside, the engagement, the cultural engagement, the fans, the way people are dressing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, j just a little side side story. You know, over the years, as I did a lot of interviews, especially from back home, I'm always dressed like this. And a lot of my friends, whether they're journalists and even some experts, always try to try to um, convince me to dress in a Western way. Mm. Even if I'm in Qatar, dress in a Western way. Why should we force on you anything, frankly? Whether it's our our values that we have in the UK, the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we drink. I'm not sure that we're in any position to take the high moral ground as a country which, for example, invaded Iraq illegally in 2003, an invasion I oppose as a newspaper editor. Does that give us bragging rights on morality with the Middle East? I'm not sure that it does. I do want to turn to some things where I think I, I would say I have a criticism, um, notably migrant workers. The Guardian newspaper said that 6,500 migrant workers have died as a result of the World Cup construction. I've looked into this, as have many other fact-checkers. That figure is deeply misleading, yes. because it's actually the number of migrants who died in total 
in the last 12 years since the bid was uh, confirmed for Qatar of any cause. But do you know how many migrant workers have died as a result of any construction since the announcement of the bid? In terms of, you know, what we did from day one, at least within the organization that I'm responsible for, mm. is we were committed towards being transparent uh, and, you know, capturing any in uh, incidents, whether it's uh, in terms of, you know, uh, misses, near misses, accidents, or unfortunately mm. deaths. And we decided to capture, uh, and we made a decision in terms of obviously work-related deaths as defined under the you know, industry standard, but also capturing what we consider to be non-work-related deaths. And this is only purely in relation to the stadiums right. and the projects that we're responsible for. And what are uh, those totals? And that's three work-related deaths and 37 non-work-related deaths. Right. These are deaths specific to World Cup construction, the stadiums, Specific right? to World Cup stadiums. Do you know how many people have died in Qatar since you won the bid in the last 12 years from any construction related to anything to do with the World Cup. In other words, new hotels, new bridges, whatever, whatever, whatever. In other words, what is the honest, realistic total, do you think, of migrant numbers, workers who've died from, as a result of what they're doing for the World Cup in totality? The estimate is around 400. Between, 400. Four, between 400 and 500, I don't, I don't have the exact number. That's, that's something that's being discussed. I mean, there will be people, Hassan, you say that's a lot of people. That's, One death is too many. That's yeah, but they would say 400 is a, a price too big to pay. What do you say to that? What I will say is one death is a death too many, plain and simple. Um, and I think every year uh, the health and safety standards on the sites are improving, at least on our sites, the World Cup sites, the ones that we're responsible for, most definitely to the extent that you've got trade unions representatives of the German trade union, representatives of the Swiss trade but union, you have, you... uh, just, to, just to make yeah. this point, have commended the work that's been done on, on, the, si on the World Cup sites right, and the improvements. Right, but do you, do you accept then, because of the improvements that have been made, that at the start, they weren't good enough, the standards? I think overall, the, the need for labor reform in itself dictates that yes, improvements had to happen. Mm -hmm. and, and just so we're clear, this was something that was recognized before we bid. The improvements that have happened isn't because of the World Cup. Mm -hmm. These are improvements that we knew we had to do because of our own values. Improvements that had to happen, whether it's in terms of health and safety standards, whether it's in terms of improving accommodation standards, whether it's in terms of dismantling the kafala system. Now, what the World Cup did, the World Cup served as a vehicle, as an accelerant, as a catalyst. It, you know, because of the spotlight, which we recognized early on was going to be shed, it allowed, you know, it, it caused a lot of these initiatives, uh, not only in terms of improvement in the legislation, but in the enforcement of it as well. And that's where today, you know, where we led to, you know, we got to a, a position where our most ardent of critics consider us today to be a benchmark in the region. Let me ask you about LGBT rights, because there's been a lot of furore about this, and in particular the wearing of the armbands. So the England captain, Harry Kane, and so, several other European country captains were all going to wear the One Love armband. Did you personally have any problem with them doing that? If it was done specifically to address Qatar, I had a problem with it. Right. If it was done, some you know, if it was something that was going to be done, and the, and the uh, European uh, nations were going to be hold, you know holding, you know, just wearing it continuously and constantly, then of course that's a decision that they you know that, that that's up to them. Was uh, FIFA right to say if they wear it, they'd all get bookings? Again, it's a decision that FIFA's made between them and and, and the European nations, and I think you know it became a standoff, and that was a discussion that was that was between them. For me, what I'm trying to you know what what for our position and my personal position is, look, you know, uh, we've always said everybody's welcome. And, we've, and, and you know, we've, we've worked very hard to create an environment uh, and to ensure that people from all parts of the world and all walks of life 
come into, come, come into Qatar, engage and interact with, pe with people from the Arab world and the Middle East, um, even though we might not necessarily see eye to eye on certain things, even though we might not agree on certain things, um, but everybody's welcome. And the point is, you know, to, 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 to come to terms with the fact that we won't see eye to eye, but we can still have mutual respect for each other and still find a way of moving forward, celebrating together. And I think... Is it safe for gay people to be in Qatar now? It's safe for everybody to be in Qatar, yes. Unequivocally, Pierce, yes. And safe for gay people to live in Qatar? Yes. I think it's safe for everybody to live in Qatar, Pierce. But you, there would be a problem if a gay couple, for example, showed demonstrative displays of Public display affection. of affection generally is not part of our culture. Public display of affection is not part of our culture. Um, it's not, you know, regardless of who you are, regardless of your, your, your sexual identification or, 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 and so on, uh, public display of affection is not. And again, I say that, and I mean within reason. Uh, you know, holding hands in the streets is fine. Um, for gay people? Holding hands in the streets for anybody is fine. It is? Um, but what I'm saying is, you know, there's, there's you know, public intimacy, or, you know, public intimacy mm. is not part of our culture. Mm. We're, we're a relatively conservative culture. Mm. In the West, the, the, the individual's personal rights always trump, um, let's say, the community rights. Mm. That's, that's what's most sacred. Now, there are other societies, our society being one of them, you know, the Arab world and the Middle East, where it's the communal values, it's the values of the community and society, which is also, again, fundamentally related to religion as well. Mm. That is, that is, a, that is a, you know, of, of a higher value, of higher importance. And again, the question then becomes, what is more important? You know, if you're coming from a Western value-based system, you look at individual rights, regardless of mm. any other uh, aspect mm. that should always be sacred. And from our part of the world, it's the religious values mm. that, are, that are there. What I'm trying to say is, at points in time, these discussions, you know, to try to find a winner out of them or try to find, you know, for somebody to kind of defeat somebody else in terms of the discussions, um, the reality is that there will be no winner. But what we have to do is find, you know, or at least that's what we try to do is find common ground. Mm. Find something at least that unites us and come to terms with the fact that we might not see eye to eye on certain things, but we have to find a way of coexisting and moving forward. And what this World Cup has showcased, again, taking it back to what you see on the streets, mm. taking it back to, to where you see the engagement, take, taking it back to where you're seeing, you know, the Brazilian and the uh, Saudi singing yeah. Where's Messi yeah. after the loss, of, of after the defeat mm. of, of Argentina. Seeing the Argentinians coming and, you know, finding the Saudis and saying, where's Salem when they lost against Poland. Um, looking at people dressing like me, you know, I've, I've seen somebody dressing, you know, uh, wearing the thobe, but in the Portuguese flag. I've seen the Croatian flag. Um, I saw a tweet yesterday that, that for me was just absolutely funny. A guy saying, you know, for the, never in my life was I expecting to see a Spaniard rushing because he's late to watch uh, the Spanish match, holding onto his headgear. That's <laughs> um, What's happening outside is a celebration of cultures. I want to end on a positive. It's been a positive interview. Um, who's going to win the World Cup? Oof, you know... Give me a name, I need a name. Stick your neck out. I'll, I'll, play, this back. I'll, I'll play this back in three weeks. I'll say France. France? I think France. Led by Mbappe. Uh, led by Mbappe and the, and the French team, yes. I think, actually, I think England have a good chance. England have got a great if chance. If Harry Kane remains fit and they play Foden. But I also think Portugal have a chance with my friend Cristiano. Well, of course. Because I got... think he's got a vision of himself lifting that cup and they have a very good side. Well, you know, just to be fair as well, for me, I want England to win, hmm. just so we're clear. I do want England to win. It'd be great to have, you know, uh, English football history connected to Qatar forever. Yeah. Hassan, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Good Chris. to talk to you. Thank you.
Well, next tonight, controversial football pundits Richard Keyes and Andy Gray join me to discuss their new life here in Qatar. And they speak for the first time on UK TV about the extraordinary fallout from their sexist comments that got them, well, the heave-ho from Sky. Dark place. Um, the house surrounded by people. Uh, and I knew I had done something wrong. Of course I did. But I couldn't compute it. And my head was gone. Welcome back to my live special edition of Piers Morgan Uncensored from here in Doha, Qatar at the World Cup. Richard Keyes and Andy Gray were the famous faces of Sky Sports Premier League coverage for a generation. As English football became a global sensation, they became household names. But they lost it all in a notorious scandal over sexist comments made off-air about a female assistant referee, and they've since moved their careers and their lives to here in Qatar. I spoke exclusively to them earlier in their first UK TV interview in a decade since it all went down. Why did you say yes to me? Well, it's quite simple. You're Piers well, Morgan, you're the governor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of like your style, from you honest. Yeah. Mm. You know, it, uh, I think, would it be Marmite? Piers' style? Very much, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. The, and I don't the, like the, Marmite, but I quite <laughs> like your style. So <laughs> we, we had a chat, and it wasn't, as you, you might suspect, it wasn't a done deal. When we were asked, but I kind of said to Richard, I'd, I'd like to talk to Pierce. We are, as my great friend, late great Ray Wilkins would say, we are a tad, or were a tad bruised. Yeah. And so therefore we withdrew entirely um, from from engaging with the British media. Hmm. Um, and, and we've largely concentrated on the opportunity that was afforded to us here. Uh, we've had an absolute ball for a decade. Um, the other thing that I thought you, you were very fair about, Piers, was your attitude towards this World Cup, the country, friends that we've made mm -hmm. in the time that we've been here. Just to start with the fact the World Cup's here. Mm -hmm. You guys have lived here for the last decade. Mm -hmm. What do you make of the way that, particularly in the UK, there's been this narrative about Qatar, <laughs> they shouldn't have the World Cup, <laughs> it was one with corruption, there are all these problems with LGBT rights, uh, migrant workers. Mm -hmm. but to me, these are all legitimate concerns. Mm -hmm. Agreed. But I also think there's been a lot of hypocrisy. I don't remember this outcry, as, as intense as it's been in for such a long time, around Russia no. four years ago. I don't. And that was four years after they invaded Crimea, right? And with exactly the same record about human rights when it comes to LBGTQ uh, LGBT rights. and so on and so on. So I, I do feel there's a lot of hypocrisy. There's a war raging in Yemen. Right. Um, but, but my, my view on... Uh, yes, there is a lot of hypocrisy. Um, I, I, none of us condone what, what Putin did, has done, and, and would wish to do as far as his excursion into the Ukraine is concerned. But, but I think that resonated more in Europe because white faces were being seen in, in distressing situations. If the colour of the face is different, it doesn't quite resonate to the same degree. And I think as, as, fair, as I think unfortunate as that is, mm. it's true. So here, here we've had different wars at different times that we, we've had to come to terms with, and they haven't necessarily made a, a line of copy in the UK. So, yeah, all of the things that have been mentioned, 
we understand, mm -hmm. and I think the country here more than any in this part of the world understands. But I think it was you that made the point when I was listening the other week. If you accept the principle that a World Cup is coming to the Middle East, and it should, mm. where are you going to play it if not Qatar? Right. And by the way, for the same reason, do you then go and play it in Africa, which has many of the same issues? Do you go to India? Do you go to China? I mean, what about, I just... four, what about four years from now in America? I love America. Yeah. I've lived there on and off for nearly 20 years. Yeah. But, you know, I don't agree with some of their laws, yes. gun laws, some of their state laws about abortion yes. now. Um, I wonder if people will take the high moral ground about America's laws. I doubt they will with the same ferocity I, they have I don't here. think it'll get a mention, Piers, because, again, it, you, I, I refer you back to what I just said about... Listen, a lot of what the criticism levelled at this country has, has bordered, if not has been racist. Yeah, it, exactly. it has been shocking. Please let me tell you about, you say overnight, and, and, and in all honesty, this country I live in now, there's no resemblance to the one I moved into 10 years ago. In what way? And in the way it has changed, its, its views, its laws. Um, uh, the kefala that used to be in here that restricted people I think, from travelling and whatever, mm. that's, that's all been gone. They're modifying everything in that respect, and they are trying to move on. But as you said, they're doing it slowly. Mm. And maybe that's not to everyone's satisfaction. Maybe it's too slow. If you were being critical, one. what would you say? What would be your biggest criticism? Well, I'd... I think all of the issues that you've mentioned... Could do another couple of golf courses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All of those factors should be taken as seriously as they have yes. been. But you can't use them to consistently, whilst change is taking place, at, a, at, at the pace of the Qatari government. And again, you shouldn't be dictated to by, by the West and, and, and whatever we believe to be valuable and important in life. You, know, you, you have to follow this. No. It, it's been a slow process, perhaps in some areas too slow, mm -hmm. but progress has been made virtually every day since we came here. And Andy's right, it's a totally different country to the one we moved to, and it's a very enjoyable place to, to well, enjoy. Let's, let's get to why you came here, right? So the last time many people would have seen you, if they don't watch your, your commentaries now, would have been when you were riding unbelievably high at Sky, Premier League was on fire, you guys were the front men for it, life was good, you were superstars, really, of British TV, especially in football. And then, bang! Do you recognise any of that? Yeah, just me. <laughs> 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 I used to watch you guys. I love you guys, right? You, know, uh, you were an integral part of my football-watching life. Yeah. And then, bang! Do you regret saying the things you said, albeit they were said private? Of course. Listen, it, 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 yes. Um, I questioned whether a young lady from Coventry, my hometown, uh, would know the offside law mm. as she made her debut. Um, the female linesman. Yeah, linesman. yeah. Um, I, on air, because I was not sure who her father was, actually on air as we went to the kickoff, said, and we also have a female mm. assistant, we call them these days. Um, good luck to her, Sean. I, I don't know, I may have gone to school with her dad. She's from my manor, so all the very best to her. She made a number of errors first half that I was insistent we didn't show. Nor did we. She got one absolutely spot on, uh, the goal that was scored uh, against Liverpool, I believe. When I spoke to her the following day, she was great. She said, hey, come on. Now... Did you rang her to apologise? Yes, of course. And she accepted the apology? She more than accepted more it. Than. She said, I expected this last week. It's just a bit of fun. Come on, Keezy. It, I, that, that, I'd never really come across that word banter. She said, oh, come on, it's just banter. And, and that, I suppose, stuck in my mind. And I said, no, no, no. I said, Sean, this is really serious now. 
it's got a life of its own. I, I have to make this an official apology mm. on behalf of myself and Andy, who's in commentary now. She went, well, right, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. So I did. And then she went, oh, by the way, a couple of things first half that you didn't show. Thank goodness for that. Thank you. I said, well, we're not in that business. You know, so, yes, in isolation, those, those my questioning whether she knew the offside mm. law was, was yeah, unacceptable. Without anybody, honestly, in sports television at the time, very few people would survive all their private conversations oh. being made public. Okay. I don't think that's, that's not because everyone's awful. It's because mm. the banter that you alluded to earlier was very prevalent. Mm -hmm. I hate, by the way, I hate that word. And I'd never, as I said, right. I'd never used it. But Sean said to me, I expected it last week. Oh, come on, it was only banter. And I suppose that was in my head. And at the time when you're on the defensive, because you can't get your head around what's going on, mm. it's an extraordinary place to be. You know, you, you've set the dogs on many in, 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 in a different role. Well, I've been on the receiving end, too. You've yeah, also yeah. been on the yeah. receiving end, So I've been yeah. poached to turn gamekeeper. Yeah. So you, you, I, I know what it's, it's like. A sh it's a terrible it place is, yeah. to be. It's awful. It's awful. If you had your time again, yeah. would you have done anything different in the way you responded? Yes. What would you have done? I would have accepted quicker that what people were saying to me was, was uh, accurate, mm. and I would have understood sooner that, that what, what happened shouldn't have done. Um, but you... you, you you're not in that place. And, um, but I've said many times to friends, given the same circumstances again, of course I would have gone at things differently. But you, you also have to then factor in mental health, which I, I, I think people too quickly dismiss, less so now than they have. For the first time in my life, I, I found myself in a very difficult place. I just I couldn't get my head around it, Piers. It, mm. it didn't at that time seem to be so significant to, to start the forest fire that was engulfing us. Well, coming up next, a lot more from Richard Keyes and Andy Gray, and it gets emotional. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
back to my live special edition of Piers Morgan Uncensored from here in Doha, Qatar, scene of the World Cup. Here's more from my exclusive interview with Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. We've done plenty punches in the second part of our very revealing and, it turned out, emotional interview. Andy, I mean, you've alluded to the fact that you had suicidal mm -hmm. thoughts at one stage. Yeah. No, you're serious. Yeah, that's serious. I mean, you talked about it. I, I, I had a wonderful life. Uh, fortunate, lucky. Uh, I played 17 years as a footballer. It was glorious. Best, best years of my no, life. 15. Loved 15. You can't, can't count the last, the last two. two were about FA. I'll give you that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, and then went to work uh, in the sport I love for a new broadcaster that was about to revolutionise football in the way it did, and had 20 years there. So I suddenly found myself in a really dark place. Um, the house surrounded by people, uh, and I knew I had done something wrong, of course I did, but I couldn't compute it, and my head was gone, and if I hadn't been for my wife, I, d I don't know what would happen, I really don't, uh, Rachel was amazing, wonderful. You were really, you were that yeah, low? Yeah, I was close to going down the garden where I used to have a pool, uh, a pond down at the garden, with a little bottle and a few pills, and I would, I would have nipped down, I was that bad, one day, I was that bad. Yeah. But... I mean, that's so horrific. Hmm. People who know me will probably think, yeah, you're kidding, because you're too... No, but I can see it in your, in your face yeah. now, even as you re think yeah. about it again. Horrible. It's a very emotional thing Horrible. To, to, re yeah. to relive for you. Horrible. Horrible. I couldn't work it out. I knew I'd done wrong, but I thought, you know, for two weeks, I couldn't get out of the house. Um, mm. Just surrounded by press and TV cameras and crews. And, uh, amazing. Weird, really weird. Really weird. But we're through it now. I am through it now. And your family was what saved you? Yeah, Rachel and the kids and pals. You know, friends, people who... You learn who your friends are, Pierce, when things like that happens to you. And I, I think we both did, didn't we? Mm. We both learned. Did you and know how, how low Andy Yes, was? I was there too. Same? Oh. What, feeling suicidal? Oh, Pierce. Really? You have no idea. You, it's, it's, you know, men, men, mental health, it, it, he's right. You can't explain. You look back now with a clear head and a clear, and you go, what? Come on, what are, you, what are you thinking? You know, but when you're in that place and, and he's right, you couldn't, the only, I, I used to have to leave my house from the, from my back garden. I would walk to a local uh, nursery that was close by, got in a taxi and I flew out here actually because uh, Nasser Al-Khalifi, uh, who I'd worked for earlier, 2008, and, and he wanted me to join then. And of course, I should have done, but I was too comfortable. I should have taken mm -hmm. his offer, but didn't. So he, he called and said, look, nobody's talking about it out here. Why don't you come out here? But then the heat got too much, and I felt I had to back away for us because it was going to bring too much attention to this country, and they didn't need to inherit our problems at that time. So, so we put it on a burner. So in, in effect, I lost two jobs, and we, we lost yeah. two jobs in, in two weeks, mm -hmm. um, one of them of our own volition. But, no, it's a, it's a... Do you think it was wrong that you lost your jobs? Well, I, mean, I talked about how it made you feel. Well, let me ask you. Can I ask you then? Can, yeah. I, can I turn that on you? Yeah. Because uh, I, I would like to know. Do you think it was wrong we lost our jobs? Well, it's interesting. You know, when I've looked at it all again, it feels to me like an overreaction by everybody because I think that you, you, you made fulsome apologies. I know Karen Brady, for example, who is one of the bosses at West Ham, and when one of her players got caught kicking a cat around, horrendous video came out. She said, everyone deserves second chance and forgiveness. And yet, 
I remember her reaction to when you two were sacked, and it was a different reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt there was a real kind of uh, feeding frenzy to do you in, yeah. which, with hindsight now, looks like it was overdone. Have, have uh, there... But mainly because you didn't say this on air. And I do think that everybody, anyone who was had all their private conversations put onto public domain, I'm not sure many people would survive it. They wouldn't survive it. I mean, you, you've been in more green rooms probably you can count and had conversations with guests off, off, off mic and, and, and if half, half of the things that you talk about were run, you, the, the people would be horrified. Private conversations are what they, why they're called a private conversation. Andy, who let you down most in the world of football that you would have expected to defend you when you look back? At that time? Yeah. Lots of people. I, I wouldn't want Are there any that stick in your mind? I wouldn't want to name, name too many of them. My, my real friends were there, mm-hmm. without a shadow of a doubt. And I knew, they, I knew who they were. Um, I mean, Andy Townsend, we've talked about Andy, he was one of my neighbours then. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there in the, in the kitchen one day, just head was all over the place. The next minute, <laughs> the gates <laughs> opened and this motorbike, <laughs> rider comes right down the drive, he's got an extra... He's got an extra helmet and he's under his arm. He comes screeching in and it's Andy. He takes the hat off. He's got that. And I'm going, what are you? Come on. I said, what? I'm getting you out of here. I said, no. No, you're not. And I was, I was, he said, yeah, yeah, come on. Put this helmet on. We'll get up to the gate and then we'll do a runner. Mm. I said, no, I can't. But that's the kind of friend that was there. But there, was, there were lots of people that I looked after, peers, in various ways and various things. That I never heard from, and I've never heard from probably in 20 years. And if have I had, you, I would let tell me you. ask you. I mean, have you guys? I think every every bloke, right? We're all. How old are you now? If you don't mind me asking. I'm 50 next year. Yeah, you're 50. I plus fat. How old are you guys? <laughs> I'm I'm 65, Piers. And and I am 67 in two days. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 57. I think every I think every bloke has probably gone through a little bit of reevaluation. Mm-hmm in recent years mm-hmm. about what is appropriate mm-hmm. and not appropriate in terms of how you act, what, what you say. Mm. Have you guys, since what happened to you, have you gone through that process? Yes, and I sometimes yes. look at what you've yes. got to say on different matters and I think to myself, no, Piers, come on. Because if, if, if we are to find a balance, then we have to over-balance in one direction in order to, to get back to the middle. Because for too long, men have had everything their own way. Mm. And, and, and we're looking to try and find middle ground. And if we're not going to do that, just by us, we, we, I, in my view, we've got to go here and we have to accept a lot of the things that irritate you particularly <laughs> and drag them to the centre ground and then we might find a better balance. Because I, I know the moment I announce I've done this interview, we all know what's going to happen. There'll be people on Twitter, why are you interviewing those sexist dinosaurs? Because dinosaurs ruled the world for about 300 million years. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'm really not You're proud to be a dinosaur. Very well, much I, so. I Embrace stay, it, Piers. I kind of stay away from social media most of the time, Piers. I've, I've, I've not been a fan of it for, for, for that, that kind of reason. I'm too To those who think that's what you are, because of what happened 10 years ago, what do you say to them? Talk to anyone who knows me. Really. I can't defend myself. It's easy to defend myself. You know, but... That would be wrong. People know me, uh, peers. People who have been my friends and talked to my family. Anyone who knows me, ask them. And if, if they, they turn around and say to you, yeah, he's definitely a sexist, then I would be very, very surprised. So, I... I that's it. If you were offered jobs again in the UK, would you go back? Um... My primary, my, my, I am deeply loyal to the company that I work for and with. 
Um, I think there is a process at which now I would be able to yeah, engage, yes. Mm. Um, but I, I, there, there is no suggestion of that being the case. Um, but yeah, I, I, listen, I, I, I find it extraordinary, honestly, because in life things happen for a reason, I believe. I wouldn't wish upon any, but well, I might, one or two exceptions, uh, yeah. but I wouldn't wish on the majority um, what we went through. But I, as a result, have lived a, 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 a wonderful life here. I mean, I feel, and I might be completely wrong here, but just from the interview you gave to The Telegraph and from just things I've picked up, and even today, actually, that I think that maybe you've come to terms with what happened better in the sense that you're ready to sort of leave it. I feel with you, Richard, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, there's still a lot of anger about what happened. No, I, I just don't... And resentment. No, I don't think that's necessarily true. I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable at the place we're in. Mm. Um, but I, 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 will, I, I will always carry a little bit of anger in my back pocket. And mm. I don't think that's a bad thing. If, if, if that is to be used um, by way of motivation, mm. then, then I, I'm very happy with that as well. But no, there are a number of... It's, it's, it's instinct, Piers. It's, it's, it's something that you would do. You mm. would want to know what happened. I can't... That's how my mind is. If you let bitterness eat you up... No, it's not bitterness. That in its way... Not bitterness. How would you categorise what I would you say it, it, it still is a, a, back, a back pocket. Yeah full of anger, yeah. that's all. But when and, you think about it... it, it yeah, and I, and, and I do for him, when I see my mate sat there, in, yeah. as distressed as he was talking about it, yeah. I feel protective, and then, and then that stirs, you know, a, a little bit more of me to get on the front foot, and that's, that's how it's been. A couple of quick football questions, I mm. can't not ask you, given we're here at the World <laughs> Cup, in your backyard, but can England win the World Cup? They can. They can. Will they? That's a different question. <laughs> They're capable. Yeah. What will it depend on? Well, all sorts of things. You, 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 Harry you're, Kane you're a getting. Man. Not losing Kane would be obviously a huge factor. He doesn't factor. look fit to me. No, no. his ankle looks no. dodgy. If it's not England, who do you fancy? Who do you think of the well, one of my One of my favourites, a, a really strong. I, I thought Belgium would make a real impression here. I also think Portugal with yeah. my old buddy Cristiano. Do you think he was right to do the interview with me? No. Why? Not at this time of his career. I thought it was badly timed. I didn't think he needed to volunteer for the aggravation that it's brought him. Um, were I you, I would have said to him, listen, I, I'm very, very keen that you sit down and talk with me, but let's get you sorted out first, because we don't want to taint the legacy. We don't want you leaving Manchester United under a cloud, and there's no reason that you I should. should. Roy Keane left after a similar outburst on Man U TV, and he's revered Do you think he's tainted his, Not his at legacy? All, no. No. At all. No. I don't think a few months' problems with Eric Ten Hag mm -hmm. and the coach he had never heard of before that ran ring. I don't think it's going to make any difference to okay. the legacy of Ronaldo. Do so you think in time Manchester United fans will... See yeah, forgive. He yeah. remains one of the greatest players I've ever had. And in terms of what if him, they what if they have a view of Ronaldo the same as you've just suggested? Public do still of us. <laughs> it's going to be a long time. Always, <laughs> you know what Cristiano said to me? You're never going to please everybody, so you may as well be true to yourself. That's true. Anyway, okay. guys. Well, you see what we've I've done. We're now interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's great. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. Enjoy Qatar. In your own. Enjoy I've enjoyed my time here, and I'm glad you guys have enjoyed it. And I hope this interview. 
goes away to, you know, well, making I, I, people realise what you've been through. And well, and as we start appears, it is kind of you to offer the invitation yeah. for us to come and talk to you. And I know one of your objectives when you took this job was to uncancel people. Mm. And if you've played we a role... Cancel. We, oh, I think so, don't you? I if, don't think you should be. I don't think almost anyone should be irrevocably cancelled. Well, agreed. I'm not sure what more you can do than show remorse, say you wish you hadn't said those things, but they were said privately. A lot of other people were saying similar stuff at the time. I heard them, right, in some cases, right, in the football world. And I think that the reaction was overdone. You're very kind to have Thanks, given Chris. us this opportunity. Good to see Thank you. Thank you. you. Come on, England. You going for a swim? I might. <laughs> Good to see you. Well, coming up after the devastating revelation that Team USA had not lost to England last week, was that result a start wake-up call or a freak result? Former US defender Alexi Lalas is uncensored next. He's going to cop it. <laughs> Welcome back to a special edition of Piers Morgan Uncensored, live here in Doha, Qatar, scene of the World Cup. Well, I watched England v the US at the weekend, well, Friday, wasn't it, with my head in my hands. It was a dismal display by England, a nil-nil bore draw. Of course, the US, by not losing, basically went as far as almost having a ticket tape reception through every major city in the country. It was, for them, one of the great moments of their lives. For us, a terrible night at the office. Well, I'm joined now by former US football legend, Fox Sports lead football analyst, Alexi Lalas. Well, Alexi, welcome. Thank you. To Piers Morgan Uncensored. It's a, not it's not a that you pleasure. need to be told to be uncensored. Pleasure. You're Honor. probably the least censored person I know in world sports. That's how I roll, <laughs> That's how I roll. So, look, I was gutted on Friday by the misery of our performance, only because... I know I saw been... it. It was wonderful. Well, I know you enjoyed it, uh, jumping on my grave, but only because we've been so good and thrilling against Iran. You now have to play... Iran. Yeah. And you've got to beat them yep. to actually go through. What do you think is going to happen? I think Iran will uh, bunker. Uh, I think that the U.S. will have plenty of possession. Uh, and I think ultimately it will come down to, you know, a set piece type of situation. But I think the U.S. will find a way through. I think the U.S. is better than Iran. The interesting thing is, you know, the, the narratives obviously that are around and, you know, Soccer, call it soccer. Uh, it, Football. It, well, soccer mirrors uh, mirrors life and the <laughs> politics and culture and all that kind of stuff. So, obviously, all of our incredible history and our contentious history with that country. Yes. In 1998, in the World Cup, we actually played Iran, and I was part of that team. And we tried to put that away, mm -hmm. you know? And I think it was a real mistake because we came up against a team that kind of harnessed and really used that you know, that narrative and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and, it, and it fueled them. And so I hope Greg Berhalter, the coach of the U.S. team, comes out in this game tomorrow and has the, has the players understand the importance Although of this Although this time, interestingly, you've got the Iranian players themselves making a stand yep. about the oppression of women in their own country, yep. which is incredibly heroic of them and brave. And brave, yeah. But in a way, they're having their own little political battle with their own country. They are. And so it remains to be seen where the U.S. fits into, uh, into it here. But and ultimately, this is to go to get out of the group. And that's a, that would be a big, you know, it's not we haven't done it before, but it's a big step for the U.S. here to figure out a way to get this win against to run, you know, that we, you know. Ratings have been fantastic. Yeah, good ratings. Re record people ratings. are watching. Right, so record Despite numbers. Despite my appearance, are people are watching. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, I think it's probably because of my contributions, yep. but they are record ratings. What does that tell you about where football is going? our football now in America. Well, we are a soccer culture, whether you want to acknowledge it or, or recognize it or not. 
We are different. Um, we don't need to apologize for what we are or what we aren't. Uh, we are a soccer community and culture that is discerning, that is passionate, that has a history. And as I said, uh, you know, in the past, we've had this inferiority complex, and a lot of it is relative to, to the English. Let's be, let's be honest. Well, very understandable. Well, it's understandable. We need to shed that, and I think that we have. I mean, uh, we're smarter, better looking as well, a populace. Well, you know, we're coming for you. I mean, we're coming <laughs> for you in terms of players. Uh, we're coming for you in terms of coaches. And by the way, we're coming for you in terms of ownership. So eventually, we will own That is true. You own, you own my team, Arsenal. There Stein you go. Brunson. You're welcome. You're welcome for the, uh, the money that he is spending for your team. You're, you're sitting pretty right now. Well, he spends it all on the LA Rams. Well, you guys are okay right now. We're actually with top of the league. Yeah, there you go. We're going well. Well done. You were one of America's greatest ever football players, our football. It's debatable, but whatever. Okay. Do you miss it? Do you miss playing at the high level? I, I, I miss... come to a World Cup? Yeah, I mean, I love what I do, Piers. I, I, I mean, you can tell that you love what you do. I love what... They can They can pry this job from my cold, dead, red-headed American hands, okay? <laughs> I love it so much. And they're coming. All the young'uns are coming now, and they, they see it's easy from the couch or whatever to do it. But as you, as you know, it takes some level of school, skill. And I get young players that come to me all the time and say, listen, if you can find something that, you know, is a jumping off type of thing, go for it. It's very hard to replicate will, playing. Will soccer, as you call it in America, will it ever get up with the other major national sports, do you think? I, I think it will, but we will always have Would that Would it take history. U.S. to win a World Cup? No, that, I mean, that's not a panacea. That doesn't change everything. I mean, it's huge. It would be right. wonderful, and it would certainly bring a lot of people into the tent. But this tent is getting bigger. And as I said before, it's a, it's a really unique soccer tent, and we're... You know, you guys are insufferable over there with what, with what you are. We put up with you, uh, and there's an incredible relationship in history with your with your country uh, and your people and, the, and your soccer culture. We when have it a comes special to. relationship, Alexis. You do, you do, you do, and you couldn't possibly lose to Wales tomorrow because you're so you're so good, and you're you're good. It's definitely coming home at some point, uh, without, without a doubt. So I, I congratulate you ahead of time. Just to remind you, it has come home, but just not since 1966. Right, but it has to come home again. Right, you know, like you know, the invented the sport and everybody else. <laughs> I understand that. I understand all of that. So. Alexi, I want to talk to you again maybe uh, Wednesday. That's it. That's it. I'm here <laughs> Let's for see you. Cocky your feeling good, good luck to you and your country tomorrow. I'm just happy that you guys are here. I want England and the US to both go through. That's Should we I'm agree talking. on that? Absolutely, my friend. Great to see you, man. Alexi Lavis, what a legend. That's it from me. I'll be back tomorrow at 9 p.m. Whatever you're up to, keep it uncensored. <laughs>